Good morning. I'm June Russell, and I'm going to give you a brief history of my spiritual journey. I was born the fourth child out of five and raised in an old-fashioned Presbyterian church. We were brought to Sunday school every Sunday and sometimes went to the main church service, which I thought was horribly boring because they're Presbyterian hymns. So, um, But I was a good student and um, did my lessons and believed what I was taught. And so I worried about the consequences of my sins. I suffered guilt for doing what most teenagers do and fear that I wouldn't measure up if the rapture came during my lifetime. And I believed it was inevitable based on the state of the world and human affairs. And I'm still waiting. (laughs) My high school boyfriend had never attended church, and so I was surprised that he didn't know the standard Bible stories, the creation in six days, the prodigal son, the good Samaritan, even the Lord's Prayer. I thought everyone knew him. I thought this was a foundation of our culture. And so I decided I wanted my children to at least have an education in Christianity and from which they could choose whatever philosophies or beliefs they wanted to. But I wanted them to have that foundation. In college, I became less literal about religion, but I still had the comfort of my faith. I worked summers with my brother-in-law, repairing roofs, doing small plumbing jobs, hanging drywall, building fences, and we would talk while we worked. He was raised in a very conservative Southern Baptist church, and he graduated from college with a double major in math and economics. He was also very educated in the church, but he argued strongly against religion with me on those long summer days on the roofs. As an atheist, he enjoyed challenging my belief in something unproven and unseen. I finally won one debate with him by saying that faith is a choice, not based on seeing or knowing, and I choose faith. I have felt the presence of a creator or a creative force several times during my life when I opened myself up to that, so I would feel it if I was open to it. Um, For example, I was in a group and we were challenged to meditate nightly to listen and sense the presence of God. So nightly meditation, I would set my timer and I would wait for the 15-minute timer to go off. But I did this regularly. And one night, I felt the presence. I felt this warmth, this joy. And I thought, ah, there you are. Um, another time where I sought guidance, our youngest daughter was going off to was thinking about going to college for her eleventh grade year. Um, she was going to she was, wasn't going to college. She was going to France to study abroad, and I wasn't sure at all that I wanted her to leave for that that whole year. So I thought I would turn to prayer, and I said, "I don't want a small, still voice deep inside my head that might just be my imagination." I want a yes or a no. <laughs> Rarely get what you ask for in this situation. But I listened, and I, did, I actually heard a voice in my mind. Now, whether this was my imagination, I don't know, but it was real clear, and this voice said, Do you trust me? Yes. 
Do you know that I love you? Yes. Then follow me. So, okay, there goes blind faith again. Of course, not the question, not the answer I ask for, not the yes or a no. What do I do with this? But I'm, I was chuckling as I again surrendered to trust and love, unseen, but definitely felt. And surrender and openness to the unseen is my default again and again in my life. Some people lose their faith in God when something bad happens. I instead turn to prayer when I'm troubled and I need help. When life is going smoothly, I don't need anything or anyone beyond my own abilities. And it's not because I believe that I'm truly self-sufficient, but it's easy to act as though I am when there's no challenges to surmount. But when I'm in trouble, I know I need help. And that's one of the places I turn to. And I've certainly questioned the existence of God. I've questioned the religious myths and histories that I've grown up with. I've even questioned prayer. What is it, after all? In particular, I've been put off by the bureaucracy of religious practices. We attended a four-square church in Hawaii where the pastor said, bring everyone to the church and let God work on them. No judgment, no restrictions, just acceptance. But most of the casual churches that I gravitated to became too conservative for my beliefs. In the past seven years, I found myself weeding out statements made in church that didn't match my own beliefs while listening for the teachings that did nurture my path. This is sometimes called being a smorgasbord Christian, (laughs) picking and choosing what I like to hear and rejecting the church's teachings that I don't agree with. But I need to be free to express myself and not feel judged for my liberal beliefs. Frank began coming to this church before I did, drawn for his own reasons. I started coming here to be with him. But when I began hiking with several of the intelligent, warm members of this church, and having free-ranging discussions about religious issues on the mountaintops, I found myself falling in love with the the acceptance that I experienced here. And so I decided that this is a community that I want to make a commitment to, and I joined as a member two years ago. In a recent adult faith formation class, one of the students observed that you have to work on your beliefs in this church, The teachings are not just offered and accepted by everyone wholeheartedly as in traditional Christian churches, and that really impacted me. In my past, I looked forward to biblical teachings to enhance my own knowledge, but here I'm challenged to develop and identify my own theology in its unique complexity, taking some from Christianity, some from my own intellect and intuition, and some from other philosophies. I continue to choose what I believe in and how I will apply it. And I'm challenged to explore and to connect with what I believe in a more thoughtful manner. What I keep coming back to is a faith-centered life with a desire to engage from my heart and keep my lines of communication open through prayer. Thank you. Hi. My name is Jory McCann, and I would love it if you would all just take one deep breath with me. Thank you. The founder of Our Bound, Kurt Hahn, is quoted as saying, There are three ways of trying to win the young. There is persuasion, there is compulsion, and there is attraction. You can preach to them 
and that is a hook without a worm. You can say, you must volunteer, and that is of the devil. And you can say, you are needed, and that appeal hardly ever fails. My parents were outward-bound instructors in the 1970s at the Hurricane Island Outward-bound School in the Penobscot Bay of Maine. My mother loves telling people that I did my first outward-bound course in utero, which is true. And then I was an outward-bound instructor for about 10 years after that myself. Well, way after that. (laughs) My first UU service was at the Rockland UU Church in 2013 when I went to say goodbye to a high-obs hero and local legend, former Green Beret and outward-bound instructor Bob Rowe. He was a pusher of boundaries and someone who challenged people to see the ways they could grow and be of service. In this way, I think I have a few things in common with him. I have been noticing lately more how I am, and really probably always have been, a catalyst. It is not always comfortable, but it has always been me. For years, I thought I would never find belonging because I was such a pain in the ass to be around. I am still a pain in the ass, just more to people close to me. I reserve that discomfort for those who have chosen in willingly. But I also know I have landed where I live in Mancus because it is a sacred place. Montezuma County is poor and messy and beautiful and so far behind the place where I stand here with you all that I cannot take all the time to explain all the ways. But I love it. I love it because it is hard and because it is messy and because I am needed. I love it because every day, if I choose to, I can put the racial justice practices I have been learning and doing for seven years to work. I can be in contact and in community with poor community members, with people of color who are poor because of white supremacy. And I can ask myself, how can I do being white differently today? How can I do growing up in a middle-class home differently? How can I look outside of myself with humility and know that the ways that I have done my work will benefit my community in this person's life, this child, right now? Maybe that will be because I will consider the questions I ask before I ask them. Maybe I will have extra compassion for the situation they are in or the behavior they are presenting. There are many ways that I am still not perfect, And I still make mistakes, but I am learning. Montezuma County is also the epicenter of a lot of ancient sacredness. It is the container that holds hundreds of years of human inhabitants, and there is so much evidence of that that it is almost easy to forget how magical it is. It is easy to forget how there are over 2,000 people in my county who could be blood relatives of those ancestors who built those Puebloan ruins at Mesa Verde. It is easy to feel like my privilege might entitle me to forget that I am of colonizer blood, that I live on stolen land, that people that look like me have raped and stolen and lied, murdered and imprisoned and lynched, infected and sent to boarding schools to culturally cleanse people like them. Even if the people I come from on the islands that are now called British were being persecuted, I am of the culture that came to this land to wield power. 
I am on the receiving end of 400 years of rules created to raise me up and put black and brown people like them down. It is my heart that knows that racism is a problem in this country partly because of me. Because I am living in a white body that has been trained my whole life to believe that I should be afraid of people that do not look like me. I have been indoctrinated to hold up the premise of white supremacy by wanting to be perfect and needing to be right. And feeling awkward in standing my ground when people that I care about get defensive because they have had so few opportunities to look at how they have been spoon-fed racism their whole lives. So taking responsibility for being racist is so far outside of their comfort zone that they will fight with me until I am too exhausted to keep fighting. Insulation is the way that racism survives. I live in Montezuma County because I do not want to be insulated. But I come to worship in Durango because among all you fine people, because sometimes being surrounded by poverty and bigotry and racism is exhausting. I come to the UU because I belong here in so many ways. I am wild and I have a freak flag and it is waved wildly, often. <laughs> Maybe not here, but I feel confident to say in a lot of my circles that I am pagan and queer and accepted at the UU. <laughs> I come to worship here because I belong and I feel supported and I lift myself up and I return to the work. Love is the doctrine of this church. The quest for truth is its sacrament and service is its prayer. I come to the UU because sometimes to be an activist, you must refill your own cup. I refill with community, a community of people living with a mindset of abundance. There is nourishment here. But I also come because I am a catalyst, because together we can, because as one person, I am small, but as many, we are big. I come and I sit with you all, because I need you, and because you are needed. Thank you. Okay, I guess we're getting ready here. What a what a wonderful couple of talks we heard this morning from these from these ladies. So thoughtful and well written and meaningful. And I don't know if you have questions or if you just want to relate some of your own similar experiences. Would someone like to begin? Oh. I'd be interested if you'd each tell us what was your hardest moment as you were preparing for this? I think the hardest moment for me was just like buckling down to start. I talked to Bobby after hearing her talk a few weeks ago, and I was like, whoa, I got to talk to that lady. So I, yeah, she and I were texting a little bit, and I said, well, I'm going to give you a rough draft by 
this date and time, and so I worked on it. Even though my mom was in town, I felt a little bit guilty that I had to be on the computer. That was kind of my hardest part. And then the second hardest part was not, like, really wanting to say it in an approachable way, say my message, and not be, like, overly soapboxy, and navigating that was... (laughs) So I did a bunch of different drafts. (laughs) This was... That's the good one. <laughs> For me, it was, um, well, I just did a bunch of, my first draft was just brainstorming, just ideas, memories, chronological stuff. And then it was trying to get it to be coherent. So there was some sense of flow and, and development of my own personal history to it. Um, so it wasn't, wasn't too hard, but, and then I wanted it to make sense. <laughs> Um, I wanted to ask Jory, um, you talked about being an outward bound in utero and then suddenly in 2013 you were at a Unitarian church. Can you fill in a little of the gaps between, <laughs> between those two years? Yes, of course. <clears throat> so I, I grew up in a really beautiful 1768 farmhouse on a hill in New Hampshire. And um, I, I was pretty insulated uh, I, I grew up in a really small town called Lyme, which is north of Dartmouth, Hanover area, about 15 minutes. <clears throat> and I, my dad had an affair when I was 17, so that was a pretty gigantic, like, ripping the bottom out from under the foundation of my house. Um, and I went away to school. I actually found that out when I was away at school. And I went to a really cool boarding school that where I got to live in Spain when I was 17. And I got to travel across the country going teleskiing and rock climbing before the age of 18. Um, so I think that that kind of, like, right during that trip, I woke up. I was like, oh, I'm not stupid. I just was, I thought I was supposed to be learning inside a classroom, and I'm that's not the way my brain works. Um, and so then I became an Outward Bound instructor after college, I went to school at Lewis and Clark College in Oregon, Maine. I mean, Oregon, Portland, Oregon. And then I transferred because the weather was so heinous, I could not handle it. <laughs> I actually went on an overseas trip to Ecuador and lived there for uh, six months. And like during the first two weeks, my whole body was like waking up and I was like, what's going on? And I had this like light bulb moment. It's literally one of the first times I can identify my body talking to me. And my body was like, you have been depressed. You cannot live in Portland, Oregon. You are not going back there. And I knew that I was leaving school before I, I told everybody that I was in Ecuador with before I told my parents. But anyway, I went to Maine. I finished school in Maine on the coast at a little tiny college called College of the Atlantic up in Bar Harbor. And I was pretty lost right after college. I was like, what the hell am I doing with my life and what should I where should I be and why did I just get a degree in human ecology and then I navigated my way to this little tiny town it's a ski town called Newry Maine which is where Sunday River is if you guys know anything about east coast ski areas and there's an outward bound base there so I started renting from some outward bound people and they were like why don't you work for outward bound yet and I was like I don't know and that was like the beginning of a 10-year career at Outward Bound and moving around the country and 
really getting exhausted, but like loving the work that I was doing and having a really hard time deciding where to go from there. But I, I, it was not sustainable. So Bob Rowe was the, he was one of the big parts. He's a pretty major figure in the high abs community and probably in a lot more. His funeral was one of the most populated funerals I've ever seen in my life. It's a gigantic church just overflowing, standing room only for this guy. He was on the cover of Time Magazine or Life Magazine. He got, anyway, some pretty major stuff happened during Vietnam that he was featured on the cover of Life. Anyway, I'll stop talking. Jory, um, you obviously know a lot about the history of the how the indigenous people have been treated in this country. Are you reading that book, uh, An Indigenous Person's History of the United States? No, but I, I would love to. It's called an, in, an Indigenous People's History of the United States. It's the UU Read this year, I think, and uh, it's everything you said and more. I mean, we have just. I won't go into it, but it, it's it's pretty horrible what's happened to the Native Americans. I'm I, I am the kind of person who has like ten books on my bedside table, and I like rotate. Um, and so I'm reading um, "God Is Red," which is by Vine Deloria Jr. and um, a history of white people. History of white people uh, by. Painter, Irvin Painter, Nell Irvin Painter, which is really powerful. But the podcast that if any, you all, I would love for you all to leave here and find this podcast. It's called Seeing White. And it's in a series called Seen on Radio, S-C-E-N-E on Radio. But Seeing White, S-C-E-N-E. It's a play on words, Seen on Radio. But the series is called Seeing White, and if you can, I think you can just look that up. And it is the most powerful, graceful, um, not finger-pointing, not judgmental, but very well-documented, researched um, podcast. And it's like a series of 10, I think, or 15. And it has completely like changed how I look at this whole situation of racism in our country. I've still got it, yeah. June, I just want to say I think it takes a lot of courage to believe what you believe and be in this group. <laughs> and I mean that seriously, but I also uh, I honor your, your uh, beliefs. Thank you, John. Uh, when I first started coming to this church and hiking with you, I thought, oh, I'm, I'm not going to talk about Christianity. And <laughs> Frank said, no, that's the point of this church, that everything is accepted. You must talk about it. And I went, okay, I will. I'm not going to, you know, not be, not talk about who I am and what I believe. And yet, of course, my beliefs change and evolve and whatever. But it was, it was hiking with you and, and Jack Eberhardt one day and talking about my sister and her just the 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 one um, the one issue focus that she has you know voted for Trump because she's against abortion and she's against Planned Parenthood because she swallowed the poison and she believes all the lies about Planned Parenthood and the conversation I just had with my sister because she was visiting us for uh, several days and in my family we were very polite 
and we, we, we would argue, of course, but I would never do that with my sister now. And so I very politely listened to her, and then I just nailed her. I said, these are lies. These are felonious lies. I've done a Planned Parenthood tour in Denver. This is how they treat people. You know, this ends. Now, I don't know if I changed her mind at all, um, but she very respectfully listened to me also. So I'm, I'm talking to Jack and John about this one day up in Porphyry Basin. And I thought, look at where I am. Look at these intelligent people I'm with. And look at how they're so letting me talk, you know, and just nodding and understanding where I'm coming from. And I went, oh, I just, I just fell in love, period. So <laughs> there you have it. He's blushing. (laughs) Don't worry, Frank. (laughs) I would really like to thank both of you for your public vulnerability. I, my sense, I could be wrong, but my sense was that each of you in your own way, pushed yourselves to be a little more honest and a little more vulnerable than maybe you initially wanted to or thought you would in front of this congregation. And I think, for me, feeling that vibration of, you know, I'm going to be vulnerable, I'm going to be honest about who I am and where I come from is part of what makes it really meaningful for me. And um, June, I often wonder... Because I was not raised in any church, much less a Christian one. I often wonder what it's like for folks who want to be a part of this congregation and want to um, continue with some or all or pieces of their Christian faith. I often wonder if those people feel welcome here. and And I want those people to feel welcome here. And I often feel pretty ignorant about, like, am I saying the wrong thing? Am I saying something that would be offensive to someone who's Christian? I don't know. Um, So I just really appreciated hearing um, those pieces of your journey. And for Jory, um, I also worked for Outward Bound for 10 years, and it's a huge part of my being, my spiritual essence and my being. Um, And if you don't know about Kurt Hahn, you should research him, an amazing figure, Um, founder of Outward Bound and uh, author of the quote that you started out with. So thanks for bringing that that Outward Bound piece into into our space today. My pleasure. Well, thank you for bringing that up. And I will say that for most of my life, I valued privacy being private as a real high value in my life. And a couple of years ago, I, I decided to flip on that and to not be private anymore because I want people to know who I am. And you're either going to like me or you're not going to like me. It doesn't matter if I'm private or not private. I want to be known for who I am. And so um, as when Judy asked me to do this talk, I went, oh, of course, you know, I don't want to do that. And then I thought, no, I will, I will. And it's a step of courage for me, but it's also an affirmation that I don't want to be private. I want you to know me, and I want to know you. And that's the whole purpose of being here. Um, 
and when I joined, when I made the commitment to become a member and I met with Katie, uh, I told her about this smorgasbord Christian issue that I was having because that's the term that our a previous pastor of ours used. Don't be a smorgasbord Christian. You have to accept the whole thing. You know, everything in the Bible, it's all literal. You've got to <laughs> believe it all. And okay, that's fine, you know. And um, then those things don't all, you know, we don't have the man as the head of our household. You know, we're equal partners. I'm sorry, but that's the way it's going to be. <laughs> we're, close, we're close to equal. Um, so I, I, told, I, I told Katie that when I would go to church, I was like saying, well, no, I'm, I don't believe that, and I don't believe that. And I'm, okay, that's good. That's, I'll, I'll go to that. And Frank and I would come home and, He'd go, oh, man, that was terrible. I didn't agree with any of that. And i go, well, I didn't either. But there were some good points, you know. And I said, in this church, it's the opposite. I almost need more. Like, I wouldn't mind hearing Jesus mentioned every now and then, right? Or God mentioned every now and then or whatever. And when, when, when we talk about prayer, it's like, Judy, when you said today in that reading that prayer is silence, Oftentimes it's just silence. And that's my experience. That phrase in the Bible about praying without ceasing. I don't remember who said it in the Bible. That bothered me for a long time. I thought, I can't go around all day long saying the Lord's Prayer. <laughs> but then I realized that praying without ceasing is really just mindful, living your, your life in a mindful, meditative way and listening and seeing and looking to someone's eyes. Um, so, anyway... Enough of that. Thank you so much. Yeah, I want to thank both of you for your talks today. I I was um, really impressed. I have a question and a comment, and I apologize for not having your name correctly, but is it June? Jory. Jory or June? Jory. We're going to have a June. Okay. Well, the thing I remember is that you were a pain in the rear end to all your good friends. But I want to address this to you. It doesn't take long to study the sins of the past. And you can certainly, I mean, there's so many of them. You can write book after book after book of the sins of the white man. But once you do that, I think the best thing to do is, is uh, it's like a friend of mine who played trumpet with the United States Army Band, and I played in a band with him, and he's really, really good. And somebody asked him, man, how can you solo so good? He says, well, I studied the trumpet for about 10 years, practiced three or four or five hours a day, and then the 11th year, I forgot everything I knew and started playing. <laughs> and um, so it's a little bit like that. Once you learn the sense of the past, you kind of put that on the shelf, and now you figure out what to do about it. So my question to you after this long introduction is, how do you treat or what do you think we should do about suppression or bigotry or the mostly addressed to those who are brown or black people that are in our society? How do we correct this? What do we do? Thank you. Can you remind me of your name? Robert, um, I think the first thing we do is we educate ourselves. And the, um, the ways that I have found most powerful to take in education uh, about white supremacy is 
books like uh, White Fragility by Robin D'Angelo, who actually was the head speaker at the UU General Assembly this year. That was not a mistake. UUs are very well-intended liberals, and we have, therefore, work to do around how we treat these issues of racism. And uh, so White Fragility is a great book, and there's another one called So You Want to Talk About Race. And I think that it's really helpful for me to hear the perspective of people that have been really taking these issues apart and looking at how we stay insular in our racism and how we... One of the things that Robin D'Angelo says is that... um, Racism exists because we stay so insulated from the conversation and we get our backs up and we get defensive when people call us out and so people stop calling us out. People of color don't want to have a conversation with us, white people, about what we're not doing well. And so to come with humility and to come with openness and to say, I'm ready to hear what I'm not doing right and I'm ready to get uncomfortable... And I'm open to being in this conversation with you, with people of color. If you're willing, you don't have to be my teacher because that is not your responsibility. But I do want to be in conversation with white people who know more than I do and who are willing to call me out on my behavior that's not working. Book group. group. Yes, please come to White Fragility. The dates are in the flyer, in the order of service. Um, Bonnie. That's what I was going to speak to that um, both with Robert's question about, so what do you do? I mean, what does it mean when you start to come to some recognitions about our history and what the implications are for us? What do you do? And then Jory's recommendation about the book White Fragility, which we have right now available over in the, is that um, the leaders of the social justice and uh, healing racism team is sponsoring a series of talks based upon that book that the intent is to take small bites of the book at a time so there'll be four different sessions and really be exploring together what did we learn and then what does that mean what does that call us to do with what we're beginning to understand in a better way and I think being part of a beloved community having those discussions is a really powerful way not only individually to learn and to think about what that next step is, but to offer support to each other and how do we create momentum and synergy among ourselves for doing this work. And I think supporting each other in just standing in responsibility and saying, like, I don't know, and that makes me uncomfortable. Or I think I want to talk about this thing, but I'm uncomfortable to say it because I don't want to do it wrong, but I'm going to say it anyway. Please tell me if you hear anything that might be offensive. And saying that to each other, it's not up to people of color to teach us. It is up to ourselves to educate ourselves and then to continue that work. And hopefully then we will be invited by people of color to have those conversations more in depth because their experience is obviously paramount. And in this area, I'm sorry, but this area is very segregated. We have a ton of people of color here, and none of them, almost none of them, come to our church. And there is reason for that. And we get to take responsibility. And the first thing that we have to do is just showing up in that conversation with humility and looking at how 
even just want, not wanting to be uncomfortable is part of that insulation from dismantling racism. Yes, this is on the other topic that we've been talking about, which is beliefs. And um, I have, I was raised as a UU, and as a teenager, I wanted more definition, but I didn't have it. My best friend was Catholic. I enjoyed going to Mass with her once in a while, but I didn't want to become Catholic. And so it wasn't until I came here to Durango that I started attending church, and I always had kind of eclectic kind of spirituality or smorgasbord, if you will. Um, and we did a series, a new UU, last month. And there I... I finally understood and came more to grips with the fact that my spirituality was probably always going to be developing. And um, sometimes I struggle and sometimes I don't. But I just invite all of us to keep an open mind to your beliefs that maybe maybe they'll change for you and to be open to a Christian in our midst. Well, in our beliefs ebb and flow in my experience. You know, mm -hmm. to me, being raised as a Christian, it felt sacrilegious to reject any of it until I got older. And then I thought, no, I... I have to rely on my own, my own intellect, my own sense of what's right. And so do I reject it all? Or, but then I, I felt like I was rejected. Then I, then I still had a spiritual need. There's a spiritual part of me. And so I just said, okay, well, let me just go hand in hand with my, that spiritual side of myself. And what shows up for me? You know, and it's, it's anything. It's like I said, I draw from intellect, intuition, other philosophies, Christian philosophy. It's all good if it all moves us forward and if it feeds us. Okay, I think 12 o'clock has come sooner than we thought it would. So let's give these women a hand of appreciation. Thank you. Thank you.